You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I am in the land of big, boomy things, Ed. I'm in Indiana, and the dog just basically hides here at the uh, summer cottage, and uh, I just kind of hope that nothing lands on the roof and burns the place to the ground. It's like a war zone out here the last couple of days, and it's pretty similar on the south side. I mean, I was at a party in Evergreen on Friday before I skipped town, just for a couple of days. By the time this airs, I'm home. I was at a party in Evergreen, and there were mortars going off right in the alley between these two houses. And every time it went off, the only people that didn't flinch were the guys who were Marines. Like, there were a couple of guys who were there who were, like, former military. They're the only ones that didn't jump every time something went off. It's, it's a crazy time right now in Chicago and the South Side and where I'm at in Indiana. Oh, hey, yeah, I was out this morning talking to some people. I was in, in line at a bank, which is always a good thing when I'm depositing money, but... Uh, we were talking about the bomb squad getting called on a couple of guys in the suburbs that, you know, the stuff that they had found on them, the cops that arrived to tell them to break it up were like, oh my God, okay, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> are those grenades? Like, yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> Some guy goes walking out with a rocket launcher. This fell off a truck on its way to the Ukraine. I'm halfway expecting the old cartoon black circle bomb with the wick sticking out of it, you know? And they're just passing it back and forth like, yeah! I had a friend of mine reach out and ask, uh, what's the crowd like on the 4th of July at the ball game? And I, he, I was like, why? He's like, I don't know. It just, I, I feel like it's going to be crazy. I said, the only crazy thing about going to that game is when you come down the ramp. I always thought it was the coolest thing. If you're on the ramps at the rate, on the 4th of July or the 3rd or over that weekend, the entire city is just going up. Oh, yeah. There's so many fireworks going up at once, and you get this huge panoramic view, and as you're moving on the ramps outside the ballpark, especially as you're coming out of whatever game on this weekend, you know, on this holiday, it is one of the prettiest sights. That's the only thing that's kind of crazy about it, but I was like, go to that game. The kids are going to absolutely love that. Beforehand, get over to Cork and Carry at the Park, the proud sponsors of Socks in the Basement and the Shadow of the Ballpark at 33rd in Princeton, an award-winning menu of burgers and ballpark favorites. Two for one when you dine in on Monday's non-Socks home games with those burgers. That bar has all kinds of craft beards. They're constantly rotating them. They got some great ones on there, familiar favorites, spirits, and wines. Get the kids over, get the family over, get your friends over, pregame there, get fed, walk over to the ballpark from 33rd and Princeton. And then afterwards, a little post-game, either celebration or commiseration uh, before you head on home. Uh, once again, 33rd in Princeton. See more at CorkandCarry.com. But that's a great weekend. These are great days if you can get out to the ballpark, win or lose, just because of that scene in the city as everything's going up. And let's not forget where we live. I mean, it's a gorgeous view when you're coming down the ramps anyway. Because you get that, you do, you get that beautiful shot of the skyline and everything like that. So to be able to sit there and see fireworks going off all over the place, yeah, it's 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 a glorious thing. And why not show up and, and be a fan? I mean, we're at a point, right, where we've given up on the idea of this being a playoff team and a championship team. and, and, and They lost two out of three run. to the A's. No, no, it's not. I know somebody's going to tell you it is, but it's just not, folks. Two out of three to the A's. You almost lost all three. 
And that's the A's, ladies and gentlemen. That's not not a team that is going to contend for anything except for the first pick in the draft. It's insane. It was insane. I don't know what upset me most this weekend. How poorly they played. Because I'll tell you, I'll tell you my mindset after we put out the last show, Ed. And I'm sure you had the same mindset. We record the show for Friday release. And these shows this week coming out a day later. We're on our old Wednesday-Saturday format because of the 4th of July. But we record last week... On Thursday, and I don't know what's going to happen on Thursday night's game, but that's when we're recording. I got to get ready. I'm, I'm covering the Evergreen Park Parade for the EP podcast, and so there's I, I'm good. I got to get that show done. And I'm talking about how they're five and a half back, and then they win that game, and they're four and a half back. And I'm looking at the schedule, going, "Oh gosh, they're playing the A's. This could be amazing. They could all of a sudden like climb back into it." I mean, I'm going to look stupid all weekend long with the latest podcast out talking about how they're not a playoff team. But watch them sweep the A's and the Twins and the and the and the Guardians just falter over the weekend, and we're sitting around going, "Oh my goodness, is this really happening?" And then they go right out and fall right on their faces. And I'm like, "Nope, those are my White Sox. They never let me down." You know, I would nope. love for them to embarrass me and make me look stupid when I talk about this team and their playoff chances and make me look like the dummy. I wish they would do that. But, man, they came through this weekend, didn't they? It's almost like they listened to the show and just didn't want to make you feel bad. <laughs> I mean, seriously. And that was the moment. That's how you make me look stupid. Now, that annoyed me this weekend. But you know what annoyed me more this weekend? Did you see the NASCAR package? Did you see the thing that they did before the race? And they aired it several times and they tweeted this thing out. And at first they're focusing on Michael Jordan. I'm like, fine, that makes sense. Then they hit like recent championships. All right, fine. You got a Blackhawks championship in there. You even put in the Cubs championship. But then you go back and get the 85 Bears. And then you cover basically all the championships of the major sports in Chicago. You know what you don't cover? You don't put one clip in. Of the team that went 11-1 and in the postseason, no team has ever done greater than 11-1 and in the Major League Baseball postseason. The White Sox did it and the Yankees did it in the 90s. Two different franchises have accomplished it once. The most dominating playoff run in the history of Major League Baseball in 2005. And you don't put one snippet of the White Sox in like they don't even exist. And you're talking about Chicago sports teams and their championships. I hate NASCAR. I will push, I'm officially putting them on the middle finger list for a long time. I'm so ticked and I can't believe, think about this. It was NBC Sports. NBC Sports Chicago has the White Sox. It makes your head want to blow off your neck like a firecracker. It's insane. Well, there's two possible explanations. I'll be the voice of reason. One is NASCAR pulled an ESPN and forgot the 2005 White Sox existed. Or two is that Jerry wanted so much money for them to use any White Sox <laughs> likeness or logo that NASCAR's like, no, we have a business to run, Mr. Reinsdorf. We can't afford it. There was a White Sox car in the race. Southpaw I know. I'm being facetious. Half the track for crying out loud. Let me explain something to you, White Sox fans. You're right. You're totally right and justified to walk around with a chip on your shoulder. You are totally right and justified to walk around and hate your owner. You're totally right and justified to hate the front office. You're totally right and justified to hate the media that lets people off on this team when they should be holding them more accountable. You're totally right when you feel snubbed by the entire world. You're totally right. That's why in 05 it felt so good. Remember? Remember Chris Berman on ESPN in in the first series against the Red Sox or the reigning champions? In tears. In tears. And when they were losing that game three in Boston, 
And he's sitting there moaning on the air. We got to get out of this. We got to do something. What's this we thing, Chris? You're supposed to be the national broadcaster. He's openly rooting against the White Sox. The apps, like you are justified to feel a chip. And every once in a while, man, somebody reminds you of what it is to be a White Sox fan. Okay. Everybody always talks about, oh, how the Red Sox got over their demons and how the Cubs got over their demons. At least people knew who they were. Half this country seems to not even know that we exist. Feel that chip. Live on that chip. That's Southside right there. That's the chip of White Sox fans on their shoulder. Especially because White Sox fans, let's remind ourselves too, that we didn't say we had some sort of spooky mystical curse. No, we just sucked. Right. (laughs) We were open and honest about it. We didn't trade away Babe Ruth and there were no goats that were denied entry into a stadium, which was always the stupidest thing that you ever heard, right? Because of course the the goat wasn't allowed in the stadium. It's (laughs) a goat. We just sucked. We just had bad ownership, no money, and dumb luck. That's just what we were. We were just a crappy team. I mean, and the funny thing is you could have sat there and said it was the curse of the 1919 Black Sox, but we never walked around and said that, did we? Because we thought curses were stupid. That's the difference between being a White Sox fan and being the fan of any other team. We are a completely different breed. Also, because as White Sox fans, we recognized, we recognized that it wasn't a curse of the 1919 Black Sox. They were in that situation because Chuck Comiskey was such a terrible owner. Right. Socks in the Basement listeners, switch to a new age of life. Keep mom and dad, grandma and grandpa out of assisted living. If you've had a recent surgery or injury, like I had this back issue that I'm still doing a little physical therapy for, uh, get over to Hyatt Home Medical Equipment. They're going to make it so anybody, wherever they're at in life, whatever they're going through, can get around on their own and live independently. From stair lifts, ramps, grab bars, lift chairs, to even bathroom remodeling, they're going to work with your insurance and they have 0% financing for qualified individuals. Plus, if you mention Socks in the Basement, you get additional money off. The CPAP machines, a lot of people using them, okay? My uncle's up here. He's got his. My father's got his. It's like dueling Darth Vader noises coming from their room. They have the latest and greatest. Switch and get supplies directly mailed to you. Test it out in their showroom. They also have the latest in continuous glucose monitors. Learn all about it at hhme.com, but stop in and see Hyatt Home Medical Equipment today at 3518 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park. Luis Robert Jr. is an all-star. He deserves to be a starter. And the only reason he isn't a starter, Ed, in my opinion, is because this team ripped the guts out of its fan base over the last couple of years, from the Larusa hire to the lack of depth to not getting Manny Machado or Bryce Harper to not making the moves they needed to make, and then going into this season with an unproven, uh, never-before-used manager uh, who comes out there and basically just goes right in line with what Rick Hahn's been doing. And it's just a lot of really bad answers to really good questions. And I think that there's so much apathy, you didn't see any voting for a guy who's right at the top of the list in home runs, third in the American League in OPS, not a starter, because the fan base wasn't really interested in participating. Well, yeah, I mean, what are you, what are we going to do? And the other thing, too, is, is don't forget that, that, that we've been sold on this idea that Luis Robert Jr. should be something greater than what he has shown himself to be in the past couple of years, which I'm not entirely sure is, is fair to him. Okay. What else is he supposed to be in, in the majors top 10 in OPS. Okay. He's still a guy who, like you said, he's fourth in home runs in the major leagues, let alone the American league. 
he is still he's a top 10 player in this league but the fact that he's hitting 276 and and you know we've been told like hey he should be he should be Ronald Acuña Jr. right he should be 336 with an OPS over 1000 well that's that's really hard to do there's two guys doing that right now and the other one's Shohei Otani who I'm pretty sure at this point is an alien sent to earth who is superhuman to go and play baseball because he's doing things that human beings just don't do on a baseball diamond. Luis Robert Jr. has 24 home runs. Only Otani at 31, Matt Olson at 28, and Pete Alonso at 25 are in front of him. 912 OPS, that puts him in the top 10 of Major League Baseball. And, and most of those guys are in the National League. So when we're talking about an American League All-Star, he's third. I You know, I know, I want him to be all world too. I want him to walk out there and it's just like, Babe Ruth walking out there. He's just pointing at where the ball is going to land, and he's just doing it. And he's going to have streaks where he's going to get on that like everybody else. He's also still a really young guy, and if he could figure out how to not strike out five times to every one walk that he gets, he's got 100 strikeouts and 20 walks right now. If he could figure out how to do that, then you will get that. You will get a guy who's got an OPS well over 1,000 for several years, and he'll be in the Hall of Fame. Right. Well, and that's the thing is, is I think he can still do that. I think he can still cut down on the strikeouts. I think he can improve on the walks. I think there is room for him to improve. I also think that he's going to steal a lot more bases. And that's something that, you know, isn't really talked about too much in his game either. When you, when you really talk about having an all around game, because right now we have players like Estuary Ruiz of the A's with 42 steals at the midway point of the season or Wander, Wander Franco's got 26. I mean, there's a bunch of guys in front of him and that, category and robert's got what eight and he's he's getting it at 80 percent because he was caught twice yeah i'd like to see him run more but I, here's the thing they're not gonna it you don't want that added into his game until everything else was working and he's healthy because it's been such a rocky road with injuries for him and then everybody else and his streaky hitting and you'd hate to see him like do something stupid with his and one of his fingers gets hurt and now all of a sudden we're waiting two months for him they actually come back to the way that he normally swings a bat like like i'm okay with it right now i want to see it you know, I don't want to be gun shy about my guys playing all out, but I, I'm OK with that being the one one of the lacking things that he has. And I still think there's development ahead for the guy. I mean, maybe he needs Jake Berger's wife to jump in there and tell him what else he needs to do with his uh with his hitting. You saw that story, right? I did see that. <laughs> I story. love that. Ashlyn Berger was on this show less than two weeks ago. And first of all, she's a very sweet lady. She's been on this show a couple of times. And she, she's always very open about what's going on with the burgers. And I just think it's kind of fun to take a, a look behind the scenes with one of the players on this team. And he's had such an interesting road with the injuries. And, and, and you know, he really is his natural position or the position he was drafted for is blocked by a guy who's getting paid way too much money to hit a lot worse than Jake Berger. He's out there just having a really good season this year that I, a couple of weeks ago I thought was one that could be considered for the All-Star game. Now when you look at that slump that he had, it kind of took the air out of his sails. He's still pretty high up in home runs, and you could make an argument that if enough guys drop out of the home run derby or don't want to participate, you put him in the derby. He's not going to make it as a player. There are other guys that were having better seasons now at this point, at this moment, than him who were snubbed for the All-Star game. But she tells this story, Ed, to me off the air, where she's like, he's the kind of guy that when he goes two for four in a game, and you think he had a good game. If he didn't do what he wanted to do or had a bad at bat, she's got to stand around the stadium for two hours while he goes and takes hitting practice because it aggravates him. Like he wants to improve and he wants to get better. And she keeps telling me, I don't know anything about this game. And what I pictured when I saw this quote, and I want to I read the quote from Berger after Sunday's game because he hits a home run. 
Here's what he says about his wife. She analyzed video of his stance and made a correction. She drew a whole diagram, quote Berger, and everything. She was really proud of it, so I have to give her credit. There was definitely a little issue with how I was setting up. She fixed his batting stance. She doesn't. She asked me about rules for baseball because she is still trying to grasp the game herself. And she's making adjustments that's helping him get out of a slump. And I, the immediate reaction of White Sox fans is what, exactly what you would expect. She's doing more than the hitting coaches. Do you think that's fair? Because I, 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 it is like your first reaction, right? It seems like it seems like she figured it out before somebody on the hitting staff for the White Sox figured it out. Well, that's the jaded part. But I also look at that as, you know, that's Ashlyn Berger just admiring her husband's body at the plate <laughs> and just recognizing him when something's a little off. She's she's just looking at him and just drinking it all in, and she's like, oh, he needs to open up just a little bit more so I can see a little bit more of that. <laughs> That's funny. And, and, and that, I think, is where that's coming from. But, yeah, I, you know, I do question overall, not not, not just with Berger, but I question overall why, why we don't see a White Sox coaching staff and whether it's it's Pedro's or Tony's or, or even Ricky's. Or, or, it, it just it seems to be something that's been lacking over this run. Why we don't see more in-season or hear more about in-season changes and adjustments because we watch guys like, Luis Robert Jr. go through big slumps and you and you don't really hear like what they're what they're doing like oh hey we you know we're just trying to work on his approach or uh you occasionally hear like when there's an injury okay you'll you'll hear that or or they'll do something around the injury but but you don't hear like what are they trying to do to to make an adjustment and it's it's especially frustrating on the pitching staff where uh you know you don't have Ethan Katz for example early on in the season catching that Michael Kopech is tipping his pitches you hear Sebi Zavala is the one that picking picking that up and, and it makes sense for a catcher to do that, but it also makes sense for your pitching coach to sit there and catch that in the bullpen before you even hit the mound, right? Or the fact that Lance Lynn went and, and kind of changed up his pitch mix didn't seem to be something that was discussed like, you know, Ethan Katz sitting there saying, yeah, we know Lance is, is struggling, or, or anybody saying, we know Lance is struggling, we're trying to work on some things to try and get him back going. Um, you know, it, I, I always kind of I feel like, and I don't have anything specific and concrete to back this up, but I feel like when you your overall quote machine from the White Sox is constantly a sort of hopes and prayers, right? Guy goes through a slump, guy's having a hard time. We hope he can turn things around. We know he wants to turn things around. We're all here to work hard and win ball games. This will turn around. But you don't hear like, I don't hear what they're doing to help Tim Anderson right now. This is a good discussion to, to sit at our virtual bar at. Like, nah, we're not, I'm someplace else and away from you instead of being at the nine foot homemade oak bar. So we'll imagine we're sitting at Hailstorm Brewing Company in the tap room right now, in the, in the working brewery that with would be the beer a hall. perfect place to discuss Right, in yeah. the scratch kitchen here, because I want to kind of get into this idea, because we were kind of chatting about this before we even turned on the microphones, as we were just kind of setting up. Uh, when you get out to Hailstorm in Tinley Park, I want you to try the pork belly sliders. We're making pork belly today. My, my brother in law is making it. Um, so I, I can't wait. The whole place has smelled like that's what we're making. I can't wait to eat. Everything's being slow cooked today. It's like basically it explains just, the constant string of drool coming right? out of your mouth right now. You can see it. You can see it on the screen as we're talking. But I mean, like, but that's that's one of our plans. The pork belly sliders out at Hailstorm are a must get. If you are in the area of Tinley Park, okay, stop in the Nat Scratch Kitchen. Uh, the barbecued, I'm sorry, the smoked chicken wings have already been featured on Chicago's Best. Uh, they have all kinds of great beers out, all kinds of different varieties, and they're open for lunch. That's the big thing. 
You want to get over there like in the middle of the day in the Tinley Park and check out the tap room, have a beer, relax. Tuesday through Sunday, they open at 11 a.m. with the Scratch Kitchen. It goes on into the evening. Uh, they're at 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue. Will Turner, their brewer, is killing it over there. Dominatrix, one of my favorite beers. It is not out all the time. If you love IPAs, if you love the really heavy hops, get out there and try it. Hailstorm Brewing, see more at hailstormbrewing.com. All right, so... I think it's a perception thing. I don't think they tell people enough. It would be great if I heard like somebody from the White Sox staff talk more about what they're trying to do with a guy or what they did to fix him. And I get more from, let's say, Ozzie Guillen. I watched the postgame on Sunday. And I, what Ozzie said, first of all, he's in love with Berger now, which I think is amazing. You, you could see that. Here's a guy who was so much a Yoan Moncada guy that he basically was begging you pregame and postgame to stick with this guy, right? And now he can't help himself but gush over Jake Berger. He loves his work ethic. He loves his hustle. He's constantly saying, this guy'd be playing for me every day. And when he talks about Berger getting that home run on Sunday and hitting well and busting out of his slump seemingly, he's like, of course he did because he's a professional hitter who shortened up what he was doing, started going middle, and just started simplifying what he was doing. That's the kind of guy who doesn't stick in a slump very long. I mean, it's high praise from a guy with a World Series ring that the entire world forgets about. But that's high praise right there. I hear more of that from Ozzy. We hear more from the player like Jake talking about what his wife told him. We don't hear a lot from the team. I don't know if it's that they don't do anything. But that's the perception. I think that's the thing. Like, maybe come out and start talking about a little bit more what you're doing with guys and what you need to work on with them. I don't think that giving up like, hey, we're trying to get him to move his foot a little bit or he's kind of sticking his butt out a little bit too much or, you know, it's it's all in his timing. You can see his shoulders slumping right now. We're trying to get him out of that. I don't see how any pitcher is going to take more advantage of it if the guy's already slumping, right? Like, what trade secrets are you giving away? And that's the thing. Like, I, I think that if you were just a little bit more transparent, what the heck? You need to find something to hook the fan base in because it isn't because they're winning more games than they're losing right now. So I, that would that would change the perception. And until you see that, I guess it is kind of a valid thought, at least, that maybe, just maybe, they're just not really good in-season, in-game, making adjustments as a coaching staff. They're not the same as other coaching staffs. And again, like I said, I, there's there may be some, some validity to not doing it it might be the bill uh, you know if, if you're an NFL fan the Bill Belichick type of a thing where you know he never says anything about anybody um you know a guy could literally be being buried that day and he'd just say he's out with a body but he wins you see he he wins if my team wanted to be aloof and not talk to the media and not tell us anything and act like we don't need to know right and they ignore their independent podcast and their fan base and basically blow off any complaint and act like we're just the peons of the world, but they were winning, then I'd put up with it. Then I'd be like, who cares? They win. But they they don't do that. <laughs> right? So, I mean, like, right. comparing them to that, if you want to be that way, win. Because guess what? Bill Belichick wouldn't have lasted in Boston as a loser year in, year out, acting like that. Only here in Chicago, only on the South Side, does it seem to go longer than in any other sports market. Yeah, and, and all we're asking is, and, and all we're saying is, right, it would be nice to know, Jake Berger goes through a big slump. Are you sitting there saying, you know, we're seeing something, he's trying too hard to, to pull the ball, 
right? He's he's getting a little pull happy. He's trying to lift the ball too much, and he's not doing what Ozzy said, simplifying, going back up the middle and just letting himself cook, right? Or even with Luis Robert, when last year he's going through that slump towards the end of the year and he's not really hitting well, just coming out and saying, like, look, we think his hand is bothering him. We're, he's doing an amazing job playing through this thing. He understands where we are and what chance we have here and that we're still better with 80% of him than, than without him. You know, you, you hear stuff like that and you sit there and go, okay, I understand why I'm watching this guy hit just hit singles, okay? And, and and then I have an appreciation for him as opposed to frustration for what what's going on with him. Why is he not the superstar we were told? With Berger, honestly, I wasn't worried about the slump too much because, like Ozzy said, he's a professional. He's going to get his way out of it. And also, this is the first prolonged time period we've seen Jake Berger as an everyday player on the south side of Chicago. He has been there in fits and starts as a replacement guy, as a call-up, whatever, this is really the first time we've seen him as a starter on this team. And guys go through slumps, especially early on in their career. The fact that he's hitting his way out of it is amazing because I have a feeling you're not going to see that happen with him too many more times, especially if it's something that he can identify himself. Well, here's the thing, though, too. He still needs to get better. I mean, he's hitting 220. 100%. He's, getting, he's hitting 220. He needs to continue to work on his defense. But you know what? I think White Sox fans gravitate to guys that play hard and improve. You know, you see the effort out there and you see the potential. I'm, that, and that's why I think I sometimes I find myself talking about him, I think, more than because he's been an interesting story this year on a team that's really let me down in a lot of ways. I'd love to be talking about who's playing second base and it not be Elvis Andrus. Wouldn't that be great? Or Zach, Zach Remillard, for that matter. Why, why, but, are, yeah. why are we throwing him out there constantly? Why are we throwing out a guy who's at the end of his career is hitting 200? And it has an OPS plus of 52 out there every day. You know, honestly, I, I think it's because Tim Anderson is way more injured than anybody is letting on. I, I, how do you explain Tim Anderson hitting 231? I know. I, what what version of TA hits 231? Well, his on, explanation on is he's, bo- he's bothered by people looking at his personal life, which, honest to goodness, was on social media for crying out loud. But, I mean, like, that was one of his explanations already this year. Okay, even if that's part of it. If it's in Tim Anderson's head, if it is in Tim Anderson's shoulder, if it is something bothering him that is physical or mental where he needs to go on the IL, then the Sox need to do that to get him right, physically, mentally, whatever it is. And if you're just going to sit there and say, TA is going to go out there and and not be at his best, we're going to run Elvis Andrews out there at second base or at shortstop when Anderson can't do it, and he's not at his best because his career is just on the decline that little dead cat bounce at the end of last year, notwithstanding. This is what Elvis Andrews has been for a couple of years now. And you have, you don't really have other stuff that you can do with those two guys other than sit there and say, either produce or go. And in the case of Anderson, you're not going to DFA him. You're not going to release him or anything like that. How about we just take him out of the top spots in the lineup, right? This guy over the last seven days, it's not like he's improving because he's batting second. He's hitting 161. In the last month, he's hitting 133. Please, I don't care about his ego. I don't care about what your plans are for him. You can't sit there and tell me you're serious about winning and bat this guy up at the top of the order. You can't tell me that because what you're telling me is his feelings mean more. What you're telling me is that you're just going to be stubborn. So your stubbornness is going to cost you games. Your stubbornness with your personnel cost you games when you're trying to convince me that you're going to turn it around and go on some magical run. Well, you're not going to do that until you get out of your own way. You're not you're not even putting your best foot forward with your lineups every day. And that's the point, right? So you ask, why are we running Elvis Andrews out there? Well, they're running him out there because 
they're limiting their own options. They're not bringing guys up and giving them a chance. They're they're holding, they're clinging on to somebody like T.A., who clearly he needs to be in a lower stress spot in the order. He needs to be batting ninth. He needs to be batting eighth. I'm not saying that we should look at Tim Anderson and go, I'm done with him, and I don't want to be a Tim Anderson fan. But I can, as a fan, look at him and sit there and go, this is proof that there is something wrong with Tim Anderson. This is not the Tim Anderson that I know and that I'm a fan of. And Elvis Andrews, I'm not a fan of at all because I thought he was just a lucky find at the end of last year when Anderson went out, and I never really wanted him back. And he's a guy that I have no history with and I have no fandom of. We both laughed at that. We were both like, that, really? We didn't understand when people were clamoring on bringing him back. Every stat showed that he had a dead cat bounce at the end of his career. He could play some defense. He has a spot on a team as a nine hitter if everything's going right in your order, which is not. Okay, Ben Intendi has been doing very well as of late. And luckily, we have somebody who can go and lead off competently for us because of the TA thing. And then you got Robert Jr., Jimenez, Vaughn, and Berger sitting there in the middle spots from three through six. That's, ba- that's your basic everyday lineup. It may get adjusted. Yasmani Grandal gets moved in there. It, that, that's, those guys are all sitting in there. Understandable. Why in the two-hole giving a guy more at-bats than guys that are down at the bottom of the order? Are you putting a guy that's hitting 130 over the last month or so? And overall 230. And overall just like is, is just isn't there based on reputation. You want to put your best players up there so that after one guy gets on, the next guy's on. You don't want to give breaks to pitchers. If you're a pitcher... And you're going through the White Sox order. You go through the bottom of the order, right? You get Ben Benintendi. He's got the worst hitters on the team on either side of him. A pitcher can literally say, I'm just going to work around this guy. And I just went through guys in the bottom part of the order. You're giving innings away. It boggles my mind what you're doing there. You're, you're taking your bottom part of the order where those are normally your, your guys who struggle more and don't hit as well. And you're almost extending it in all the way till you get to the, thir- the guy who's third in your order. Who's your best player? It really should be. It should be Ben Intendi. It should be Andrew Vaughn batting second, in my opinion, and then Robert. I, I, I mean, Vaughn's got a, a 19% strikeout rate this year, which is pretty good, which means he's making contact. He's just not hitting for the power everybody wants him to hit for. But I would not have a problem with Andrew Vaughn as a second hitter, even though he's only hitting 248, because he gets on base, he makes contact. He's at least a threat behind Ben Intendi to do something and maybe even move Ben Intendi along. You can get a couple of runs going early and yeah you're still gonna have struggles at the bottom of the lineup but i'll take the guy with the 328 obp on base percentage in andrew vaughn in the two spot or or the 319 obp in, in yasmani grandal when he's playing uh, that works for me too i'll take that socks in the basement socks in the basement Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.